Welcome to the fourth episode of Under Control. I'm Paul Bartlett and today's guest is Jim Rump from Whipfly, one of the top 20 accounting firms in the US. Jim is a senior advisor in the financial services division and has in-depth expertise in the area of risk management and IT compliance. On this episode, we will cover how Whipfly is taking accounting to the next level by being a technology and implementation advisor to its clients. Also, we will touch upon how cybersecurity and forensics plays a crucial role in this ever-changing digital age. Hey, Jim, thanks for joining. How are you doing there? Doing well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Jim. I'm really curious about this topic that we are going to be talking about today around risk management and and compliance, uh, because we get, obviously, a lot of questions coming our way, certainly with our solution, um, with how it does comply with different regulations uh, within the European Union, but also in the US as well. So I think, first of all, just get started with just introducing yourself and giving us a little bit of background about you and your company. Yes, sir. Thanks. First off, thanks for having me. I always love to come on podcasts and, and talk about things like risk management and, and IT controls, uh, always looking out uh, for helping our clients and providing good advice. And I know this is a big topic these days about risk management, and compliance, yeah. uh, as it should be, as it should be. We're trying to do things to protect our clients and consumers. So always Again, appreciate the opportunity to talk about things such as this. It's all yours. Yes, sir. So a little bit about myself. I'm a senior manager in mm-hmm. our risk advisory group here at Whipfly. Uh, just a little bit about Whipfly. We're a top 20 accounting firm here in the U.S. We have about 50 offices, most of those in the U.S. We do have a couple overseas. But really, we strive to be a little bit more than accounting firm. We think about accounting firms, we think about traditional audit and tax, but we try to go beyond that and really be an advisor to our clients. That includes helping them with things such as technology consulting, uh, technology implementations, kind of digital transformation. That's a buzzword that we talk about a lot, and I'm sure we'll dig into in today's uh, podcast, but helping, helping clients in more than just traditional accounting uh, areas such as audit tax. Um, other areas we uh, operate in uh, wealth management, uh, benefits consulting, of course, cybersecurity, fraud, and forensics is, is a big part of our practice too. And we do this across many different industries manufacturing, healthcare, government, nonprofits. I spend most of my time in financial services, right? So banks and, mm-hmm. and companies that do work with banks, uh, of course, you know, which are. This is all heavy, heavily regulated industries. Uh, so I spend most of my time in that financial services realm. Uh, I do have a few other clients, but going back to how you started it, I really help around IT risk management at a very high level. Right. You know, we, we do that in a variety of different ways, penetration testing, stock reports, our risk assessments, uh, social engineering, and other technical audits. So I spend... Uh, most of my time in, in financial services around, but have other clients uh, in, in other industries as well. And we help clients in multiple different ways, risk assessments, SOC audits, uh, IT audits, pen- penetration testing, and kind of those technical audits. But the, at the end of the day, what I tell people I do is I try to make my clients more secure or make sure they realize how secure they are. Um, and what I always tell that's a very long-winded answer of what I do, but to shorten that up a little bit, what I tell my mom I do is I help my clients be more secure. Yeah, because that's what it's all about. Uh, trying to help them make sure they understand 
all these risks out there because there's a lot of noise about mm-hmm. uh, these areas, cybersecurity and compliance and regulations. Um, so I try to help my clients just be more secure. Yeah. And to that point, I think there's a lot of rattling the cage, right, about the things that you, you need to comply with. And anybody that's either starting out on a business or trying to transition to um, moving from filing cabinet online um, is overwhelmed with potentially all of the regulations and control measures that need to be put into place. And I was just wondering to see, how do you see the, the the sector evolved over your period of time of working in that specific area of risk management and, and helping companies, let's say from five, six years ago to today, transition with the right technology stack? Sure. Great, great question. Good way to start. In financial services, it's a very interesting time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the industry itself has been very conservative in the past in the U.S., especially with banks. Um, and kind of those legacy financial institutions. It's just a little bit more conservative mm-hmm. industry. But really over the past, you know, say decade or so, we're seeing so much investment coming in now, so much, so I mean, more entrepreneurs get involved, a lot more innovation around these financial services. So I am seeing a whole lot of change um, over the past few years. And again, it's it's new to this industry because it's, again, traditionally just a little bit more conservative industry. We think about in the kind of quote unquote old days going in and getting a loan, you go into your bank or your mortgage lender, fill out your paperwork, um, you know, for a certain type of loan and, and go through the traditional process. But these days with all this new technology innovation, you have a lot more options, I guess is the mm-hmm. best way to put it. Uh, one of our clients actually, they partner with a big box retailer. So, you know, say you're you're a construction company, you go into a big box re- retailer to buy a bunch of goods. You can get maybe a micro loan right there at checkout. I mean, that mm-hmm. that is completely different than the kind of traditional way of thinking about loans and mm-hmm. and and lending. So. A lot of new innovation coming into the sector now, and I think it's great. I think it's great mm-hmm. for the consumer. Um, it's, it's meeting them where they need to be, but you know, it is new for for that industry. So we're seeing, as you would expect, challenges yeah. to be overcome, especially in the area of compliance and security. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, it's 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 an interesting time to be in this in this industry. Mm-hmm. And you would traditionally think about um, looking back in the old days that kind of compliance would have the upper hand but I can see personally as well that compliance is kind of being pushed these days to to conform to the technology that's that's available today right is you seeing the same kind of thing yes I think and first of all I always like to tell my clients compliance is not really the same as security Mm. and security is not compliance so they're two different things Um, and certainly with all this new innovation and new types of companies coming into regulated environments, what I've seen, it can be a little bit of a culture shock. Mm-hmm. You know, for these fintechs, these financial technical companies that are popping up to solve very specific problems uh, who may not be used to uh, the regulations and the laws. Uh, so it can be tough for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditionally, banks and kind of the legacy financial services clients, they're used to regulations. Mm-hmm. They're used to uh, the compliance. Um, but, you know, again, with the rapid innovation of, of new types of products, it can butt heads a little bit with compliance and security. So making sure everybody's on the same page, everybody realizing that clients 
is an important part of the business. And, and the ultimate goal is to make it safe for the consumer, for your customers. Um, and I think once people adopt that approach and embrace the regulations and embrace the plants aspect of it, I think, I think that's the first step. And where do you see potentially, new, for example, you've got fintechs coming in or you've got existing companies that are transitioning to maybe going online or, or looking at different technology stack and with the plethora of different technologies that are out there, where do you see uh, the pitfalls are with regards to either new startups or existing companies? Where does it they always run into difficulty uh, around regulation and compliance? And another good question, what we see, and, and I participate in a couple of incubator-type programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm based here in Georgia and Atlanta, and we have a lot of these types of companies, these types of fintechs. And, and what we're seeing is it's been very good lately. These new fintechs are engaging with banks and people in traditionally more heavily regulated environments and beginning that dialogue because mm-hmm. that piece you're talking about of, of of making sure we're compliant with all the rules and regulations, I think that's the, one of the biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, we have to products that people want. That kind of goes well without saying. Um, but it's the back end things like those security issues and regulation mm-hmm. issues that that are posing the biggest challenge, I think, for these new companies. But and, and it used to be kind of banks and fintechs were button heads a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, their banks maybe see fintechs encroaching on their turf and, mm-hmm. and the fintechs are just trying to provide good solutions. But what's happening now, and I think it's great for the industry, is they're starting to work together more mm-hmm. often. And and the banks can, you know, teach teach these fintechs, you know, how to operate in the regulated environment. Mm-hmm. And in return, banks are getting access to new products that their customers want. Uh, but I do think that area is a big challenge, just that general you know, kind of risk management area. But the more conversation that takes place between all these uh, parties is the better. And ultimately the consumers will be the one that ends up winning. Yeah. Um, but, you know, also thinking about regulations are changing very quickly um, mm-hmm. as well. So, so uh, something's always coming out new. I know in the U S we have a lot of different states doing different laws Mm-hmm. around these areas and, and it's, it's, it's just a challenge mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i tend to agree with that sentiment as well is that we deal with companies coming into us and they start asking us whether we can make them compliant and of course as an organization we're not there to make them compliant we can provide a level of security which might fit into the compliance standard or the regulation for a state or for some other particular sector but we're not able to to do that and it's an interesting point that you raised because I think what I've seen in the past that fintech organizations are typically straight ahead with building a great application you know its customers can basically work from their mobile phone do everything online but then suddenly mm-hmm. they can run into issues with data security for example and how they store that data and, and how, whether it fits with a regulation or not is that something that um, you typically see as well yeah that's that's a good point and what we always encourage any company really is to make sure to think about the security risk mm-hmm. from the beginning from the start if you think about it at the very end it's going to cause problems. Mm-hmm. I'll use an example of email. Yeah. Think about email. It was never intended to be secure mm-hmm. from the very beginning. It was intended as a way to share information. And that's it does it very well to send emails and to share information. It does that job really well. But now 
course, we've seen email as becoming a primary attack vector. We're trying to uh -huh. secure it. So it's, it's a lot harder to do later on in the game. If you can think about security, think about you know, data early in the process when you're creating these applications and, and um, you know, objectives, if you can think about it early and, and take security consideration into consideration from the start, it will help. Um, so that's one thing I always recommend to my clients, just to think about it from, from the get-go. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll just mention one other thing that you talked about I thought was pretty interesting. Your clients want you know you to make them compliant with, with certain regulations. And of course, you can do that for your product, but that's not, that's not a full you know, solution for them. And, and it can't be, you know, that's not your job. So with the um, prevalence of outsourcing, you know, that, that will continue to be, you know, an issue in, in vendor management in particular, yeah. uh, making sure companies know how to manage, manage their vendors. I think this was also one of the areas um, when we talk about vendor management and we talk about different technologies, there's a trust uh, requirement there. Okay, is what am I procuring? What am I taking uh, from this vendor that's going to you know, secure my data or secure the trust um, for my particular customers as well? Is that where you're also helping customers as well in, in choosing the right technologies to get them um, secure and um, working in an effective and efficient manner? Mm -hmm. Sure, we. We spend a lot of time helping clients do that and making sure their vendor management program is in place. And, mm -hmm. and one thing I always preach to my clients is, you know, you can never outsource responsibility. So you always have to, um, again, make sure you use your trusted uh, vendors. Um, I think outsourcing is a great way to solve a lot of these problems. Mm -hmm. But just realizing that you're not necessarily outsourcing risk. You're just, it's, the risk is a little bit different. Right. So you may not be in charge of, uh, you know, securing data. Maybe your, your vendor's doing it, but you just want to monitor your vendor. You have that communication and that relationship with your vendor uh, to make sure you're all both on the same page. At the end yeah. Of the day. And yeah. As long as you have that communication, I think I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think as a whole, the industry will continue this trend of outsourcing. Mm -hmm. Because again, I mean, like your solution, you solve a very specific problem mm -hmm. um, and you can probably do it more efficiently and effectively than, than your clients can by themselves. So I think outsourcing is a, for, for these particular problems is a you know, great way to do it. But as you say, vendor management becomes a, a big piece. Mm -hmm. When we see some of our clients get audited by you know, the examiners and the regulators, vendor management has, has, just bit, the focus on vendor management has been increasing over the years. And, and certainly I think it continues to do it. But if you have those trusted, trusted partners, it can be a win-win uh, for everybody. Yeah. I mean, because especially under these times as well, there's so much pressure on cost, right? Mm. There are companies out there that maybe outsource and, and try to do things remotely from you know working with, with other countries. Um, providing their IT services or IT management stack. But do you see that there is potential risks? I mean, the rewards are there financially, but the, the risks as well. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you, you also see? Do you have any like horror sure. stories from, from that? Because I, I've, I know that I've heard horror stories in the past of, you know, basically things being outsourced to different countries and then suddenly, you know, um, they're not in control of that data anymore. Um, so they're entrusting people with that data. 
uh, in a cloud service somewhere remotely in a far-flung country. Yeah, that's a great point. And what I see, I don't really have any horror stories, but here's what I see happening that causes problems. When somebody in a business unit hires a vendor without consulting maybe the information security group or the compliance group or whatever groups in charge of kind of monitoring that. And then you create this relationship and then the vendor comes and says this, this, and this. Maybe that's that's not good. Maybe you want to share that information or maybe you don't. But as long as we really need to, again, concentrate on deciding those things you know, before we signing a letter with you know, a contract with, with a client. Um, that's where the kind of, to me, the horror stories happen is when everybody is not on the same page going into a relationship about, you know, what, what we have to put in and what we're going to get out. If we, if we solve those problems in the beginning and think about the security topic in the beginning, then, then that, you know, usually leads to you know, a much better su- success. Uh, so I, I think that's the big takeaway. And, and of course, ongoing vendor management mm-hmm. around around the companies and and making sure y'all are on the same page of, about how we treat security and how we treat data security. But uh, usually, the horror stories happen is when you think about that halfway during the, through the implementation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's never where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had that experience as well with with a company that uh, just basically put their line of business straight into finding a tool, which was ours um, for evaluation. They went through. They said, "Yeah, it's great," and the next minute they over overlooked the the whole security aspect of things. They needed to get engaged with the security team, which they weren't even aware of, which surprised me, because you would think that internally <laughs> inside these organisations that these kind of things would be well scripted out, but. It tends to be in larger organisations. You would think that, yeah, that, yeah, behind the <laughs> you know the shiny web pages and, and advertisements, that there are situations where people are just unsure about what the process is internally. And is that something that you, where you help them with build that process out? So as well as taking the risk management, what procedure needs to be put in place? Um, and what's the best way to do that to be able to get to an evaluation of a particular technology? Yes, we do help with that some. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you talked about, especially with larger companies, maybe the hand's not talking to the foot. Uh, this happens all, all the time. And, and as auditors, we try to get in there and talk to everybody and get multiple perspectives from the business line, from information security, or maybe from IT. And sometimes... When we talk to all these different groups, we see that obviously not everybody's on the same page. Mm-hmm. So where, where we can, we try to help those clients put in processes. Mm-hmm. We've got to have defined processes for how we uh, tackle these things. Uh, so if we're hiring a new vendor, you know, these people need, need to be involved from the very beginning. Uh, making sure we got that written down, making sure we don't have to think about it when we go you know, to procure a new solution that we have those processes in place to make sure those things that need to happen do happen. Um, so we, we do spend a lot of time talking with clients about that because that is a challenge, mm-hmm. um, making sure everybody who needs, needs to be involved is involved. But also, you know, we don't want to slow down the process. We don't want to make it overly, overly cumbersome yeah. for, you know, to us to get new, new products because we, we need new solutions and, and help from vendors. And we don't want to slow that mm-hmm. process down too much, but we do want to provide some, some oversight. So a lot of it goes back to just general business process. I mean, you can, you can, if it's a bad process in the beginning and you try to automate it, it's just going to be an automated bad process. Yeah. So we always want to think about 
that kind of stuff from the beginning yeah and that has happened when we say about automated processes it's about again somebody needs to sign something off i know myself i've experienced it to the frustration of the customer as well the amount of steps and stages they need to go through to get their hands on on a piece of technology um but it has to check all the boxes right so and typically this is where it falls into the risk management category um and one thing i wanted to touch on which i'm faced more and more with now um, with dealing with customers is the introduction of uh, not that it's an introduction but it's always been there is this this data residency option or data sovereignty do you have any feelings or or insights on that because it's one of the things that we we face with quite frequently can we store our data within the us borders uh, where's that data being stored um what kind of regulations in place what's your view on that that's a, that's an interesting topic and i can mm. and i see it just evolving almost day to day uh, especially with gdpr being implemented yeah. um in the us what is happening is uh, california implemented a similar law related to gdpr mm-hmm. uh, new york has has had a, a little bit different one and and honestly all the states are probably coming up with their own mm-hmm. so it's a very interesting question and i'm not sure the answer to it yet mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody knows but yeah. we have some of my clients have been trying to just avoid issues you know like that honestly yeah. just kind of kicking it down the road because nobody i don't think anybody really knows the answer yet mm-hmm. gdpr is new and, and and from what i can tell not a whole lot of fines have been issued so far mm-hmm. um so everybody's kind of has a grace period to get you know compliant with that talking about going back to the intent of your question like data sovereignty knowing where your data is mm-hmm. it's just going to keep going more those types of questions are going to just continue increasing yeah and the big vendors will will have to kind of figure that out Mm -hmm. um, especially in these regulating industries and i think there's a push to do that i mean in the old days you know we put it in the cloud and it could be anywhere depending Mm -hmm. on you know whose cloud it is but but i have seen vendors uh, become more cognizant of that question especially in areas such as financial services which are regulated and i i get it i mean i would want to know where my my data is you know from a business standpoint if only just to make you sleep better at night right yeah i don't have a fully fleshed answer yeah. for it because i think it's still evolving uh, but i think yeah those are the types of questions that we need you know need to keep asking fleshing out yeah because i mean i, <laughs> I typically tell my my customers they say well where's the data being stored and we have a default location but we give other options as well mm-hmm. um and usually if you're dealing with an edu- educational institution it's the educational institution that's saying right you've got to have that data within the u.s borders and then you want some justification for mm-hmm. why that's the case and really there's no justification mm-hmm. for it. it was based on some yeah, it was based on some policy that was created you know 10 years ago and it's never been changed um and for example you know these days people are saying well as, as long as it's fully encrypted or or the regulations are stringent mm-hmm. or as strict as what they are for here in the us for example we're okay with that but one of the things that's mm-hmm. been sort of niggling away at me personally uh, when i'm asking these questions is how does that affect cyber insurance uh, cyber security insurance for example which more insurance companies are willing to do and, and, and offer out there um, you know, does it have any impact on the policy that they're procuring from these insurance companies? So, yeah, those are all good good questions. Um, 
that I'm also challenged with on a regular basis to find out. So if there's any listeners listeners out there that can help us um, address those questions, then you can drop me a mail by any means. I just want to come on to the current situation right now with um, with COVID. How have you guys been dealing with it personally as an organisation and even as individuals? Because I think it's caught everyone out. Um, and it's a topic that can't be ignored. And more importantly, what do you see your customers going through right now? Um, it, as someone mentioned to me earlier on the previous podcast, it's kind of caught everyone off guard, out of balance. And yeah, people are still trying to come to terms and figure out not business processes, different ways of, of managing mm-hmm. risk because people are working remotely now. So what is it you see? It's the topic of the day, uh, or yeah. at least the topic of the past four months. It's interesting time, it's strange times. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here in my basement uh, mm-hmm. where I have you know my home office that I've been for the past basically three or four months. For our firm, you know, we have a little bit different business model because we're constantly going to see clients. I usually spend a lot of time at my clients' locations, you know, visiting with them and working working there. So that has pretty much gone away. Mm-hmm. Um, but our kind of business model, we were built for this to right. be able to work from for, from anywhere. So it hadn't really been much of a disruption for us in in at Whipley. Um, we're doing a whole lot more online meetings where mm-hmm. we share screens. Uh, but really, we've been able to to kind of get our job done. But a lot of our clients a little bit different because it's a different business model, uh, such as our bank clients. I mean, mm-hmm. They they're on the front lines. They are essential. You know, people need access to to their funds and and need access to their banks. So so it's been more of a challenge for them. And we actually had a, a hosted a roundtable uh, yesterday actually for a few of my banks uh, to talk about this this very issue um, because. You know, when when COVID first hit uh, a couple months ago, it was all about, hey, we got to get work done. We got to send everybody mm-hmm. home, but we have to get the work. So I think what what we saw is the risk kind of tolerance, you know, for for cybersecurity went up a little bit because it had to because we had to get our job done. But now as this thing is stretching out and we see that, hey, maybe there's not an end in sight at the end of the year or end of you know next summer, we don't know. As long as we do this, habits are changing. People are mm-hmm. usually, and for some people realizing that, hey, maybe that's better than having a two-hour commute every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we're starting to think about, okay, this being a more longer-term issue, how do we manage those risks? Because you got people working at home. Yeah. You know, we don't know how secure their home network is. We don't know, hey, do they have encryption over their Wi-Fi? Yeah. You know, who else is in the house? So it's introducing new risks that we really hadn't focused on mm-hmm. that much anymore so and, and people are still trying to figure out you know how to do that yeah you know, how to how to kind of manage those risks and and luckily there's a lot of good solutions out there that that are specifically um geared to you know help these types of issues and including um what y'all's product does so it's an interesting time around this i think a lot of change has happened and will happen and and one other point about this that we kind of talked about with my clients the other day is what we have shown is how fast we can really pivot if we need to, to digital products, to, to remote workforce. I mean, people in not just financial services, but did very quickly and shown that we can do rapid change mm-hmm. uh, to meet our customer needs. And I think, I think that's great, you know, for, for, for all industries to show how fast we can adapt mm-hmm. circumstances. Yeah. 
but of course making sure we manage those risks in the process because yeah. i was looking at the fbi report they put out some threat, report, threat reports every year and i was just looking at their website and you know the number of of cybersecurity kind of cases that they handle you know through may of this year is already greater than all of 2019 mm-hmm. so there's a lot of people trying to prey on all this change yeah. and all this work from home situation. So, sure. um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting times for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also think you know, there are some businesses out there. It's for them, regardless of people working from home, it's business as usual. You know, pre-financial results need to be reported to auditors. I've got one customer who came to us saying, hey, we need a solution and we need it fast because we didn't assume that we would not have auditors on site, you know, doing the books. Um, we need to do the pre still release the pre-financial results. Um, so they're all working remotely. And for me, that was a use case that I didn't even think of, that suddenly the idea of auditors and finance teams not being able to meet anymore due to the COVID situation was... Yeah, hey, you know, there's a new space up there, basically in the cloud for a secure data room where these third parties or regulators and and, and independent um, auditing teams need to work. Um, so that really uh, opened my eyes up as well, and also made me consider about the risks um, of of working remotely. So it was uh, it was good to. Um, Get your insight on that. Um, just moving ahead now to the future, because I'm being conscious of time. Um, what do you see happening from now on, um, from the aspect of regulation, risk management? Where is the finance industry heading? I mean, is there a future for bank branches, for example, or is it going to be all fintech in the future? Are we going cardless? What pres- what potential risks is there? There's a whole abundance of questions in there. So, but what do you see for the future? Sure, I, I think we will continue rapid uh-huh. innovation. Um, the the amount of processes that will be digitized will keep increasing. As a result of that, data security issues and concerns and challenges will keep increasing as well. Mm-hmm. And to me, in turn, that means regulations are not going to be lessened. They're going to be right. and more and more, especially mm-hmm. when we consider all the data breaches that have that have happened and will continue to happen. None of that is going to go away, you know, anytime anytime soon. I don't think going back to when you you mentioned about bank branches, I don't necessarily think they will go away, but they will change and they will evolve uh, to customer demands. You know, as consumers, we're used to kind of have everything we need maybe on our phone or on our a tablet or, or a laptop and those types of product continue to be high in demand. So I, I do expect a lot of rapid innovation to continue to happen. And, and of course, again, as a result, more, we will continue to collect more and more data and then we have to secure that data and yeah. have to show others that we're securing that data because, you know, we talked about outsourcing and vendors, the more, you know, you know vendors we have, the more we have to monitor uh, those, those vendors and and to make sure we know where our data is and then make sure it's secured. Um, but I, I'm very excited about the future. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, you know, get worried that maybe technology is going to take their jobs away and, and whatnot. And I totally understand that. Yeah. But I try to look at it from the perspective of, you know, that's going to maybe some doors will be shut, but a lot more doors will be opened. Um, mm-hmm. um, in, in the technology space. So so I, I've got I've got really good hopes about 
technology and how it can make make our lives better. And at the end of the day, technology is just a tool and yeah. it should be a tool used to make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. And I think it has the capability to do that. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to you know how, yeah. how the industry uh, evolves. Yeah, um, we, I think at the beginning of the, the show, you mentioned uh, digital transformation and, and what does that mean? Um, or we can say potentially for some organizations that that's come early. Um, some people are being forced to change now because of the situation. But I was always a little bit confused about the digital transformation uh, terminology because companies are constantly you know, adopting, evolving. So it's a continuous process, right? It never ends. And uh, I'm also thinking about, is it something that we'll see in the future where I'll be on a Zoom call with my bank manager rather than going in and facing them? <laughs> um, because it's not because of the COVID potentially, but because now if we found a more effective way, efficient way of working and we're actually maximizing the benefit of technology, which I believe in the past has always been uh, maybe underutilized for our own product, for example. It was just used um, basically for a, a file repository, but now it's being used for, for many other things as well because it always had that capability there, but now other people are finding other use cases and applying it to the maximum uh, potential. So, yeah. Okay, Jim, great discussion. Really happy to have you had you on the show today. I wish you all the best and hopefully talk to you soon in the future. I'm going to call it a day uh, for today. Thanks a lot for your time and your insight. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. No problem. Thanks a lot, Jim. Take care. Bye-bye now. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode of Under Control. You can find links to all of our social platforms and to our guests in the episode description. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Join us in two weeks' time for the next episode.